Oh, gracious, loving God, open our hearts and our minds to your leading. May we understand what it means for us when scripture is not easy, when the Bible has hard words, when it challenges us to change our behaviours. Lord, as we come and look at Micah this week, help us to ask ourselves the question, what is it that you require of us? Oh Lord, may your Holy Spirit be upon us, guiding us in all our ways. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. So we, we are starting our new series uh, for the month of August. Um, and our series is called, What Does God Require of Me? So it's a, it's a personal question for, for you. It's a personal question for the church. What does God require of me? And this week, we're starting um, in Micah, and we're going to be across August looking at the book of Micah. We're going to be looking at what the minor prophet Micah, and I think that's always funny, isn't it? When you talk about minor prophets, does, it, does anybody's brain go to that, you know, um, like the seven dwarves with a pickaxe and, you know, they're the, minor, the prophets that did digging in the ground? It's not that kind of minor. It's not that kind of minor. Minor meaning small. Not that, that when they're prophets that they didn't do very much, but minor prophets are ones that have books in the Bible which are smaller in size, you know, less than about seven chapters. Major prophets are the ones that, you know, have got like 56 um, chapters within the book, so um, they, they wrote a lot more. It doesn't mean that the message that the minor prophets had is any less than the major prophets. But, you know, we're going to be looking at Micah, and I, I posed this question, who is Micah? And I didn't put it on the screen, but, you know, I, I had a secondary point there. Why should I care? Why should I care who Micah is? And why should I care that this um, person is writing about the downfall of Jerusalem? prophesying against Jerusalem. See, Micah actually has, at the heart of it, some great words for us as individuals, as a church. In, in fact, it actually has one of my favourite sayings, quotes from the Bible, and I'll put it up on the, on the screen for us. He has shown you, that's, that's God has shown you, O mortal, that is us, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? That is the question that defines our series. What does the Lord require of you? What does God require of you? It forms the basis of who we are. It forms the question on what this series is going to be about. Now, often we get this, this passage popping up, you know, Micah 6, 8, and, and we talk about it. And what happens is that we talk about it, we spend a week on it, and then we move on and go, wasn't that wonderful? What I want us to do is really focus in upon Micah, upon this statement of what does the Lord require of us, and really spend some time focusing on what that really means. So the question, and I hope it's starting to go through your head at the moment, 
What does God require of me? Are you sitting with it at the moment? It's a very personal question. It's a question for the church. What does the God require of our church? Maybe it should be a question, what does God require of our denomination? See, the thing is, when we get to church, we kind of just get caught up in the, the, what happens. Singing songs, praying together, having communion, reading the Bible, hearing a message from me, but we often don't get down to the nitty-gritty of what is it that we need to be doing. But as a church, what happens is that when, when we talk about Christianity, when we talk about becoming a Christian, we often give the salvation aspects of it. And that's incredibly important for us, to be able to say, you've got to come, you've got to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. And that's completely correct. We need to do that. We need to ask God to be the one who guides our lives. We need to ask God for the forgiveness of our sins. But see, the thing is, I think all too often in our Western civilization, we go, all you need to do is, is ask Jesus into your heart and then we leave it there. Ask for the forgiveness of sins and then we leave it there. And we sit back and go, well, what else? What do we do? What defines me as a Christian? What defines me as a person? How, how is my faith actually played out? Do we actually know what that means? Is my life before becoming a Christian any different to my life post-coming a Christian? What does God require of me? That's the statement that we need to ask ourselves after we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. You know, it, it, it's not a spectator sport Christianity. It's not, I've, I've done this, I've said yes. There is requirements from us. We need to get involved. What is our involvement? What do we need to do? And over the next three weeks, we are actually going to focus in upon the different aspects that Micah brings out, but specifically having a look at the statement of what does it mean to act justly? What does it mean to love mercy? What does it mean to actually walk humbly with our God? So we're going to be focusing in on this, but the question for us today, well, who is Micah? Well, just to give you a little... Um, point of where Micah is, you know the Bible is broken up into two segments, basically, two, two big segments. One is the Old Testament and the other is the New Testament. The New Testament is um, the books within there, in the Bible, that talk about Jesus Christ and the church as we know it as Christian church. The Old Testament talks about God's saving action uh, and his people, Israel, the Israelite nation and their journey with God and how often they would wander astray and come back. Micah is, if you think about like um, 
the New Testament, you start with the, the book of Matthew, and you can often find that. If you go back just a little bit, you'll find the book of Micah. It's right near the end of the Old Testament, so just a little bit of space for it. And it's, it's not very long. It's seven chapters, so it's a good one to read, but it can be a little hard and a little difficult to hear the words that are said there. But, but Micah is, is one of the you know, last great prophets of the 8th century before Christ. Uh, it's the same time period where we had the prophets such as Amos and Hosea and Isaiah. And it's interesting to note Micah really doesn't have a family heritage, a family pedigree written down within, within the Bible. His father's name's not recorded, which kind of gives us an indication that he probably wasn't from a noble family. It probably wasn't from the, you know, a high stating. It was just probably from more a peasant farming family in a small village in between Jerusalem and the Mediterranean. See, Michael was a prophet to his own people and, you know, the people of the southern kingdom, that is Judah. See, during the time, the, the nation of Israel that started to be formed split into two. You had Israel in the top and Judah in the south. And they all got taken over by um, various invading armies over the time. See, Judah went through, you know, this disastrous reign um, and basically became a puppet state of the Assyrians. You know, the armies came in and they desecrated the temple um, and what happens is they started to get the people of, of that time starting to behave according to the customs of the Assyrians. So they started engaging in things like child sacrifice just to please their captors and their masters. And what is happening is Micah is actually prophesying in this reign of Hezekiah, who was a good man, but really was trying to figure out whether he needed an alliance between the Assyrians or the Egyptians. And Micah had witnessed the fall of, of Israel, the northern kingdom, and he didn't want the same for, for Judah. And so he comes and he hears a word of God upon him. See, the thing is, for Micah, when we actually look at the, in the book of Micah, one of the great prophecies that he has is that Micah actually prophesies the Messiah, that is Jesus' birth, and it's going to be happening in Bethlehem. So when we look at the heritage and lineage of, of Jesus and we understand who Jesus is, we, we get some of the facts from Micah. who prophesies that, that Jesus, the Messiah, will be born in Bethlehem. But see, the thing, like, like most prophets in the Old Testament, you get a sense that when you read through Micah, as with most of the prophets, that he has a great concern for our moral lives as people. The moral life is important for Micah. 
He conveys God's concerns, God's prophecy about the right and wrong actions, the character of our very being and who we are. You might ask, is it just, when people are prophesying, is it just their own concerns that are coming up? See, often what happens is we we look at Scripture, we look at the Bible and we go, is that just Micah saying this because he's seen what has happened around him? Or is it God speaking through Micah to the people? Well, I want us to go to a, a scripture from the New Testament that talks about prophecy so that we may understand where prophecy comes from. And it's from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were called, uh, carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, what's happening is God is speaking into the prophet through the Holy Spirit for a word for the people of God to hear. So when we are hearing these words from Micah, they are not just Micah's words. They are God's concern for us. And the question that we need to ask ourselves when we hear this is, What does God require of me? That's the question that I want you to take here from that. What does God require of me? See, the funny thing is, when when we start thinking about the Old Testament, I think the Old Testament prophets are kind of really radical people. They do radical things. Um, Now... I don't know whether you actually picked it up when we were reading the, the piece of, from the Bible this morning when, when Kerry was reading that for us. Um, that one of the things that prophets needed to do was jolt those people who were going about their everyday life into hearing the message from God. So they would do weird, outrageous things. And the thing that Micah was doing was he was seeing the downfall, the patterns of behaviour that people had seen and God had said, we want, I want you to go to these people and, and speak into them. And because of their behaviour, because of their immoral life, what Micah was doing to get their attention was going around barefoot and naked. Now, if you had somebody wandering around the street barefoot and naked, I always think it's funny, you know, um, bare feet. That's okay, you can kind of cope with that, can't you? Naked, you're kind of going, well, that's a bit more extreme there. I will howl like a jackal. I will moan like an owl. So he's he's already giving you an, an indication that he's going to get in your face and he's going to confront you. This everyday person from being a farmer to being this prophet, God uses all sorts of different people to bring the message. Now, I hope that none of us ever really get 
taken by the point of, of, of becoming an Old Testament-style prophet and the standing at the front here barefoot and naked. Although um, I have heard that um, some of the great preachers have stood up naked and preached. It does boggle, doesn't it? But it did get the audience's attention. And I think that was the point, wasn't it? That was the point, to get the audience's attention. See, what, you know, he's this barefoot, naked, howling prophet detailing the sins of the people, the things that they have done wrong. He details the selfish behaviour that has led to their oppressions. He details the religious failures of those in power. He details the violence that's all too common in the world. Families in disarray, communities in trouble, institutions that were supposed to help people in the nation but instead are pulling it apart. Actually, am I talking about Micah and back in the time or am I talking about now? Because you can see those things, can't you? When we look at the world, there is violence all too common. You know, I'm just appalled when you see on the news that somebody walks randomly down the street and then hits somebody in the head. Doesn't that turn you and go, what is that world doing? What is it that makes you think that you can do that? You look around the world and you see that people are hungry. And what are we doing about that when we sit comfortably? We look and we see that people are fleeing their country for safety and yet we have hard hearts. We don't always behave as God would have us. The question is, what does God require of us? See, nothing in the time of Micah, and I think, I have to say it, nothing in our time as well, is as really as it should be, as God has meant it to be. You know, they, back in the time, they couldn't trust the judges. They, you know, neighbours couldn't trust one another. They didn't confide in friends or, or family, you know, Fathers and sons were at each other. Daughters and mothers were at each other. There was sacrifice of children. None of that is right. So when we read this, we see that there is pessimism. And that's in contrast To the way God wants us to live our lives. We should live with optimism. We should live with a sense of, of hope. See, when our society starts going down a path, Christianity really needs to be countercultural to that path to bring them back in line with God's commandments for ourselves. Now, I don't want you to make feel guilty. I don't want you to Get that notion that I'm trying to make you feel guilty now. 
What I'm saying is not for the reason to make you feel guilty. What I'm, what I'm rather wanting to do is to get you to ask the question of yourself. What does God require of me? If I say I am a Christian, if I say I have been saved, if I say I am a follower of Christ, what is it that God requires me to do? See, as a prophet, prophets challenge us to look at our lives in the stark reality of the high standards that God has for us. Prophets challenge us to do that. And that's what Micah does. He challenged the people back then, but he also challenges us today to look at our lives in the stark reality of the high standards that God has for us. So he said, I don't want you to make feel guilty, but I want you to ask the question, what does God require of me? How many people have, you know, those that are up to driving cars or have driven cars, how many people have been driving down the road and you suddenly see a police car sitting beside the road? Have you ever been doing that and you're driving along and what happens, you suddenly go, oh, have I been speeding? Have I just done something wrong, you know? Um, have I, you know, um, did I indicate back there? Did I pass somebody that I shouldn't have passed in that moment? Uh, am I doing something wrong? You know, whenever we're faced with authority, and, you know, the police are authority, aren't they? On, on the road, there are authority there. Whenever we're faced with authority, we start to feel guilty. Maybe we've done something wrong and we need to check ourselves. This is what the prophet Micah does. This is what prophets do for us. They face us with the authority of God and we need to check ourselves to see whether we are in God's um, framework that it has for us. It's not necessary to make us feel, feel guilty, but rather the, so we can check what we, what we are doing is right. Maybe the question of requirement that we should be asking ourselves, just as Micah asked his own community, is what percentage of our lives are we committed to God? Are we fully committed to our Lord? Are we fully committed to God? Or will we only be partly committed? How much is it that we are willing to give to God? You know, Micah is basically throughout all of the book of Micah, and we're going to look at this in more depth, is telling the people to look at, look at yourself. You're breaking the rules. Look at yourself. You're not giving God the honour. Look at yourself. You need to change your ways. You can't say one thing and do something else. You actually need to have your life in balance with your beliefs. So what does God require of me? Over the next three weeks, we're going to have a look at what it means to act justly, what it means to love mercy, what it means to walk humbly with our God. So let's just pray together. A loving, gracious God, for us, we give you thanks. 
We give you thanks that there are people who are willing to stand up within our world. Stand up because God has spoken to them. And challenge our behaviour. Challenge us to see the world as it truly is. And call us to come back. Come back into right standing with our Lord. Come back and be your people, following your ways, not making our own directions. Our Lord, we ask that your blessing be upon us, that you may open up scripture for us, that we may understand it more deeply, we may understand it more honestly, we may understand it so that we know what you require of us. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.